What's up, everybody? This is Iron Mike Stedman. And as always, I want to thank you for tuning into my show, Dog Whistle Brandon. In the following episode of DWB, I'm joined by Army veteran and West Point graduate Aaron Sari, CMO at OP2 Labs, which develops, manufactures, and sells innovative nutritional supplements under two brand names, Frog Fuel and Protea Gold. OP2 Labs produces the only nano-hydrolyzed collagen protein supplements in the world. Now, I had to do some digging to find Aaron, who I initially came across on a YouTube video years ago where he was doing some website teardowns and giving marketing advice to veteran entrepreneurs. Honestly, I think I'm going to start doing some website teardowns myself here soon. After connecting with Aaron back in April, I was finally able to get him on the show to talk about his journey as a fractional CMO, working with various different startups in Silicon Valley before officially becoming the CMO at Frog Fuel. For me, CMO is such an interesting role for a veteran entrepreneur, especially since I see so many of us in COO or more managerial roles that I wanted to get Aaron on the show to talk about it. Not only do we cover how he became a CMO, we also talk about his framework for tracking growth and why he thinks more entrepreneurs need to invest in paid ads. Full transparency. This is the longest interview I've conducted on this show thus far, so I'm warning you, this is a meal, not a snack but it's packed with tons of value. So stick around until the end. All right, Gunny, it's about that time. Yo, saddle up, lock and load. You're listening to Dog Whistle Branding, brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media and the Lions Pride, where we provide no fluff and high impact brand strategy and business coaching for veteran owned businesses to keep you in the fight and not face down in a rice paddy. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the godfather of Dog Whistle Branding, founder of Ironbound Media, and business coach at the Lions Pride. Before we jump into the show, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at the link in the show notes, or visit our website, dogwhistlebranding.com, to stay up to date on all things DWB. All right, get out your pen and paper, and get ready to build a Dog Whistle brand. Saddle up, lock and load. Aaron, my man, welcome to Dog Whistle Brandon. Been trying to get you on for a while, and I'm finally glad we're able to make it happen. I know. I'm, I'm a terrible person back and forth on that sometimes. That's why I always tell people, keep hitting me until I get back to you. And if I tell you to stop hitting me, then it's then it's probably a, it's probably a hard no. You know, So it always works. For our listeners, I had to find Aaron. I'm telling you, I had to go back and dust off some legacy podcasts from like 2014, 2015. And I actually discovered you on a Vetrepreneur teardown, because you used to do these website uh, teardowns on YouTube. And I was like, man, that's so cool to see another Service Academy grad in this kind of marketing and branding space. And then I started looking you up on podcasts and everything and saw your website. And then there's like a gap. And I was telling you this when I reached out to you. There's like a six-year gap of like podcast interviews and everything. But you've been hooking and jabbing. You've been the CMO of uh, Frog Fuel, doing some great stuff uh, with the brand. And uh, I'm excited to have you on the show for a couple of reasons. One, to talk to us about your craft, how you're able to develop it. Talk to us about growth in general, because I think that's something people are approaching wrong. And then also the lessons you learn just through uh, about entrepreneurship and what it takes to build a successful team and what founders should be thinking about. And one thing you and I talked about before I hit record it was people want to grow. And they know they need marketing, but they don't want to spend money on it. 
And what's crazy is I'm listening to this book right now by Dr. Benjamin Hardy uh, called uh, "Your Future: Be Your Future Self Now. And what it talks about is sometimes you got to invest where you want to be in the future, like right now, both in like your personal and professional life. And it only makes sense as well in your business. But again, people just, I don't know, they just want the sure bets. I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's true. I mean, this is like, sadly, it's notoriously true for like the smallest businesses is, uh, and that's one of the reasons they stay small, you know, which is like, it's not bad to stay small, you know, but the way I look at, you know, business, especially when it's competitive, more competitive now than ever is like, if you're not always trying to grow a little bit, then someone else is going to take your business from you, you know? And, you know, I just see these businesses not taking uh, money and investing it in growth, which, you know, there's a couple things, you know, when I talk about growth, I'm actually talking about two things. You know, a lot of people think of growth in terms of like growth marketing, right? Which is one side of it. You need customers to come to you. The other side is operational growth. You know, can you handle all those customers, right? Which like, if I send you a thousand new customers today, it's like, hey, can you handle that growth? And most businesses can't, you know? So the internal operational kind of growth, like have you automated and outsourced things to actually be able to do that? And the other side is, have you done marketing and sales to actually fill your funnel to actually grow? And what I see is a lot of these, uh, you know, smaller businesses, well, especially smaller businesses, but, you know, some big ones too, is they don't invest in marketing. You know, they might have a sales team, but those sales team, you know, they have a salary plus like a commission structure. Um, but like focusing just on a sales team is very old school. That's like being a horse farmer. And when we have airplanes, you know, it's like, that's just not the way to do it anymore. Like if you're doing good marketing in today's world, your sales team is just closers, you know? Um, and so I see a lot of businesses not, you know, investing in that. And it's the best time ever in like history to be investing in marketing, you know, because it's not like in the past where it's like, hey, there's only one billboard in town. So whoever gets that, you know, has the marketing and they pay a ton for that because it's the only billboard, right? It's like now I could like go from my phone, get in front of millions of people on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all those things for free or with paid ads, you know? And so like it's the best time at the cheapest price to get in front of people. So the fact that businesses aren't doing it is like, to me, I'm like, Hey, if you want to fail, that's okay. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to tell anyone they have to succeed, you know, but like, if you want to succeed, you have to fill the funnel with exposure, you know, so you can actually close it. You know, I usually recommend to businesses, especially if they're trying to grow, like in their growth stage um, is like 25 to 30% of their revenue should be spent on marketing, you know, um, until they start leveling out and they don't want to grow anymore. But if they want to grow, it's a good investment. I posted this on LinkedIn. I got blasted by some people, but I'm not a, I'm not a LinkedIn warrior, so I didn't even put up a fight. But I was like, listen, man, marketing is sales at scale. It's like prepping the battlefield. And what I've noticed is, and I even tell people with this podcast, when I jump on with a client or prospect before they become a client, it's night and day when they listen to the podcast and uh, sit in a sales call with me. Because they already understand how I think, how me and my team approach building brands, and they're already sold. And so it's part of that process of, like, they hear about me, then they listen to the podcast without me even telling them, and I just get better quality clients, you know, better prospects, et cetera, all the way around. And you're right, brands aren't doing enough to kind of prep the battlefield. But you got to lean into marketing, right? Like, this takes time, you know, all the other stuff that we're doing. But, again, if you want to stand out in this noisy world out here, right, brands have to... I don't know, convey their values. You know, you got to prep the battlefield. You got to get it going, but you got to be willing to invest in it. And so, you know, one area I want to go back to is how did you learn your craft? 
because I consider you like a veteran entrepreneur OG from my class, right? Around, you know, those younger guys, right? We kind of got out the military. You got the old heads before like 2000, yeah. right? Or right there around 2000 and 2005. But starting beyond that, right? I really um, looked up to guys like you, you know, Ian Faison over at Mission and some others of just watching how you guys were moving around, you know, Silicon Valley because at the time, right, when I was at the Naval Academy, I didn't know anybody that worked at Amazon or Facebook or all these places. I didn't know shit about entrepreneurship, whatever. And then all of a sudden, I see videos of you, Patriot Boot Camp. I see all this other stuff. And so you kind of really paved the road ahead for someone like me to say, hey, I can step in this space and really educate people around, you know, Dog Whistle Brandon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that Patriot Bootcamp video that's out there on YouTube from like 10 years ago, that one's still hard to watch. I was like, man, that was that was probably the first thing that's ever out there. It's uh, I was like, man, that that dummy. Um, <laughs> it's a fun one. Everyone can Google it. Just look up my name. I'm sure it'll pop up. But uh, yeah, so yeah, like I said, I mean, I, yeah, or like you said, I'm, I, you know, I went to West Point. Uh, I graduated in 2007, you know, so I was one of those classes that like I went over to Iraq as a platoon leader during like the the surgeon stuff over there. And then, you know, I went to Afghanistan a few years later. So, you know, I got both of those. I got out after five years. I went straight into startups uh, in the Bay Area. And, you know, where I first, you know, was uh, getting into those startups was basically as a, a COO. You know, I was going in to companies where like I was the first hire after the founders and all the companies that I've been in over the last 10 years, I've been the first hire after the founders. Um, so I'm basically hired to help scale things. Um, and a lot of people focus on the operations side, but I, you know, and that's how I got in the door. Um, you learn a lot when you're on a team of two to three people, everyone's doing everything. So what I, you know, what I'd already learned from, you know, West Point and, you know, the army was how to lead teams and operations and things like that. What I learned afterwards though, at least from West Point, because it is such a leadership focused school, all right, is that what, I actually learned a ton about was also marketing because marketing is just applied psychology, right? And leadership is also just applied psychology, right? And so what we learned at West Point, you know, was four years straight of leadership training. And so it's really easy to take, like in my opinion, it's really easy to take all of those lessons about how everyone makes decisions and apply those out into the business world. And so when I started doing that, you know, I was just out here like making decisions and things were working. And what I realized is like, oh, this is the same thing as leading in the army, just with different outcomes, you know? And so, you know, after, uh, yeah, after the army, I was, uh, you know, uh, hiring an events company. We were doing crazy stuff like uh, tomato fights, um, like 10,000 person tomato fights around the country. So that was pretty interesting and messy and kind of disgusting, but really fun. And I worked at another startup in the Bay Area, um, you know, and in the middle, I've done, you know, a bunch of consulting as a fractional CMO, um, you know, which we can talk about later if people don't know what that means. But, you know, it's, think of it like, you know, instead of like having a full time lawyer, you have a lawyer that you pay for an hour to review a contract, you know, so you don't fuck things up. Um, and that's, you know, uh, what I've done also as like a fractional chief marketing officer, you know, it's like, hey, talk to me one hour with me might save you a bunch of money. So you spend it over here instead of over here, you know? And then after that, you know, I got, uh, you know, with uh, frog fuel, um, which, you know, the company's called OP2 labs, you know, the, the our main, our, well, one of our primary brands is frog fuel. Um, 
I actually started with them as a fractional CMO. Um, actually got hooked up with them from uh, Ian Faison um, out in the Bay Area. He talked to them a bunch. And uh, yeah, they brought me on as a fractional CMO, as an outside you know uh, agency to, to do that stuff for them and help them put money in the right places, say the right things about their brand. And then, you know, a couple of years after that, you know, Alex, the CEO was like, Hey, uh, we like come work for full time for us. Like we're scaling fast. We need to go. Let's like, why don't you join the team? So I joined the team, you know, uh, full time, probably two and a half years ago now, um, as the chief marketing officer, you know, and we're doubling in size at least or about every year, you know, so, um, that's kind of in the background. Um, yeah, and it's it's been across lots of industries. You know, I've consulted for nonprofits, direct to consumer, service industry, or you know, uh, services kind of industries, um, a hotel, you know, just about everything at this point. And what I found is most of the, uh, you know, it all sounds different, but in the end, every business grows in the same ways. Um, I believe in like simplifying things, and so you know, I just simplified it down to all the same stuff that works for every kind of business, at least. Uh, from a data standpoint, you know, but that's, that's the long side of like my background. Yeah. I think that's where I'm at too. Cause you know, you come up through the bunker lab ecosystem. You see a lot of early stage veteran owned businesses. I'm like, listen, man, you just need to get 10 customers, right? Then you get 10, we need to go to a hundred and we just start have a better understanding of what your value prop is. Cause it's one thing to think, you know what it is. Then you're going to start looking at your customers and they're going to be the ones to say, Hey, what are these things? We what are these things that all these customers have in common? especially the ones that pay us a premium that we enjoy being around. And now you're able to operate with conviction versus just assumptions. And it's, I was just listening to this, you know, it goes back to man in the arena. You got to get an arena first. And in my mind, the arena is sales. It's that hand to hand combat. You use that knowledge to pour jet fuel on your marketing efforts and then you scale it. But a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of veteran entrepreneurs, those early stage founders, they're scared of sales, scared of spending money on marketing and they're focusing on the wrong stuff. You know, tweaking this and that instead of the stuff that's going to drive the most value. So I'm with you on, you're right. You can have a bunch of different industries, but a lot of the same conversations keep coming up. Who's your perfect customer? What channels, you know, do they operate in and stuff, et cetera. One of the things is you didn't go to business school, right? So like you didn't, I mean, this craft of like marketing, just kind of self-taught, hooking and jabbing, right? Just kind of figured it out. Yeah. Uh, that Yeah, that's, I, I didn't go to business school. You know, I... <laughs> In the past, and there's probably some of those earlier interviews even where I'm kind of uh, uh, pretty negative on business school even, you know, which, you know, take it or leave it. My my take is like, we have free knowledge. You know, you can go to YouTube and learn anything, you know? And so getting experience is more valuable than throwing yourself into debt, you know? So like, what I do say is like, hey, if you're a veteran, the GI Bill is gonna pay for your business school, go do it, you know, go party for two years, get like a top 10 school, like, why not? You know, I got a bunch of friends that did that. They're doing great now, you know, but if like, uh, you're paying for your own business school, you know, and you don't want to go just be an employee in finance or something like that. If you want to go be an entrepreneur, you know, like modern business school is not going to teach you what you need. You know, I'll probably get some backlash on that. Um, <laughs> but like you can go learn for free, you know, you can get paid to learn, you know, it's like over the last 10 years, I've gotten paid to learn all these things, you know? And then like, I'm sitting as a first hire in companies with like equity, you know, and a good salary as I'm growing those companies, you know? And so like, to me, like 
a first bad decision as an entrepreneur is like choosing to go to business school to learn to be an entrepreneur. It's like, oh, you're going to take two years and spend a bunch of money to theoretically think about things instead of, of like business, instead of going and doing it. Like that's not a good investment. You already made a terrible investment in your business, <laughs> you know, um, especially when like that 100K, it's like there's tons of other courses. You could buy like $30,000 worth of awesome courses from like creators that are business owners that have actually grown things instead of, you know, the theoretical side of being in business school. I'll probably get backlash from that. I usually do. So I don't usually say that at scale on things like this, but really feel like I just, let's see what happens. No, nah, man, I believe <laughs> the same thing. Like there's a, there's a whole group of people that got, they're all about business school, but they can't go from zero to one. They literally don't know how to build a brand from zero to one. And the only way you learn this stuff is by getting in the trenches um, and actually doing it. Now this does tie to dog whistle branding because I'm interested in you and sorry, breaking into this arena out there of, you know, Silicon Valley, right? How did you build that trust and credibility considering the fact that you didn't have this like, you know, Stanford, whatever kind of background, you're coming in these companies, right? They're early and they're growing. How were you able to convey that like you were the guy to help them scale up? And the reason I bring this up to is, you know, I'm against hustle porn. I'm anti-hustle porn, yeah, right? And exactly. I feel like you are too because I've never seen 100 videos of you posting on your LinkedIn or Instagram or anywhere talking nonsense, right? I mean, you're kind of off the grid, right? You go to your website, you book you through Calendly, maybe you check your LinkedIn, et cetera. So you haven't done a lot of hype stuff, yet you've still been able to build a name for yourself and build that trust, credibility, and authority. And so I'm interested in learning that with a lot of these companies that felt like, hey, we're going to hire you as our like number two. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, so this is what I tell a lot of people when they're like, doing a job search and there's an old article on, uh, I think it's militaryonesource.com where it said approach, approach your job hunt like a sniper, not like a machine gunner, right? Think of it, instead of just shotgunning your resume out to a bunch of companies, right? Choose who you wanna work with, right? And attract the, and, and approach that like a sniper, right? Sit out there, do your recon. When are they coming and going? What are they doing? When's the best time to take your shot and how to take that shot, right? And so, you take one shot and you get the job that you want, right? And so this is the way that like, I've never shotgunned out resumes. I've like, I've barely even submitted resumes over the last 10 years, you know? And one of the reasons is that like, I chose companies that I wanted to work with, or I went to, you know, places where I was around a bunch of uh, founders, you know, talking to them about what they're doing. And if they have a problem to solve, I'm like, Oh yeah, here's a good way to solve that. I could solve that, you know? And when I started, I did it for free for the first like three months, you know? Um, it's really hard to not hire someone for free. You know, if they're like, hey, I know operations. Do you need someone to help with operations for free for a few months? Like, it's dumb to say no, unless they're like, obviously gonna fuck things up. But like, that's how I got in the door. And then by getting in there, people seeing what you're doing, they have trust in you. You start getting experience, so you learn how to do these things better, right? Then you leverage that forward, right? You take that, like I took that, and then I moved to like other clients and other companies, you know, by saying like, hey, you know, I've uh, used fa Facebook ads to get a, you know, seven X ROI. Do you need Facebook ads help? 
And they're like, yeah, cool. And now I get in the door on Facebook ads and I see behind the scenes, I'm like, oh, hey, you should really automate, outsource some of these things here. You're losing a lot of revenue. You know, you're taking a ton of time. Like you should, you know, be able to get rid of these ad admin people. And then you could use that to hire salespeople. Here, let me, let me help with that. Right. And so it's one of those things that like, if you don't have experience yet, um, but you've learned a bunch, cause like, like I said, knowledge is free. Go to YouTube. You can learn anything for free now. Go grab a book. You know, you can learn anything free. I've got like three books sitting around my, like, like right here, like sitting around, just sitting around right now. You know, it's like, go read some fucking books. And like, now you have knowledge without experience and you just got to ask someone to let you apply that experience. And then you can use your wins from there to play it forward and then expand your reach. Right. So we went to like Facebook ads to now like operations to like broader ads to now to then like lateral, you know, marketing. And, you know, one of the, you know, so, so that's one side of it, right. Is like approach it like a sniper instead of shotgunning things out, choose who you want to work for and find a way to get in the company. Cause after you get in the company, you'll start seeing other problems they have and then just raise your hand and ask if you can solve the problem. It's not like the military, you know, where you're like, where it's like never volunteer for anything. Right. Which is like true. We never want to volunteer for anything when you're in the, when you're in the military, right. You always get fucked over, but out in the real world, out in the business world, like, and you volunteer for something, if you do a good job on it, one, that gives you experience that you can leverage looking at other companies. Two, that gives you uh, responsibilities that you can say like, hey, I've been doing this thing for free for a while. Uh, can I get a raise? And if they're like, uh, no, then you're like, oh, cool. Well, I'll stop doing that. And then they're like, ooh, actually, yeah, we'll pay you more because I can't have someone stop doing that. I've gotten used to it being done, right? So that's one side of like how to get into those companies. And then the other side, like you talked about, at least, you know, for me is like, I don't have a bunch of content out there, you know, um, you know, I probably will in the next few years um, just cause I've learned a ton and I'd like to share that. I, I'd like a lot of small businesses, especially to stop failing. Um, but this is another one of those, like, I kind of look at it like a, almost like a James Bond kind of thing, right? It's like, I don't care if everyone knows my name, I care if certain people know my name, right? It's like, so uh, Frog Fuel, for example, you know, one of the, one of our board members um, and investors is one of the founders of Shopify, right? And it's like, like, it's nice to have that person know my name, right? I don't need everyone at Shopify to know who I am, but it's nice that this one person knows of me, you know, um, as the chief marketing officer of the company. Right. And so that's, again, like being strategic, you know, so like it goes into like sales and marketing. There's a lots of way. There's a lot of ways to do sales and marketing. Right. Um, you can do shotgunning out and see what you get, you know, or you can approach it like a sniper, you know, and get the best, you know, with very little work. And then like most people might not know your name, but the people that do know your name is pretty helpful, <laughs> you know, and pretty powerful. You know, and it, like that's a different approach especially when you're marketing yourself in my opinion because like we should all in my opinion look at ourselves as a high ticket item right this isn't you know just like some mcdonald's here right i'm like i am a grass-fed wagyu beef burger right and so are you and so is everyone who's listening right we need to think of ourselves that way and instead of so instead of shotgunning it out we're like hey we want that person who's going to pay you know, 30 bucks for that burger, 
instead of a dollar like they are at McDonald's, you know? And so part of that is believing in ourselves. The other part is how we act on that, you know, how we approach that like a sniper instead of like a machine gunner, you know? So that's a couple of thoughts. I appreciate on you sharing that. I appreciate you sharing that. And that's just not about getting hired. I mean, again, this is Brandon, right? And for me, right, it's refreshing because everything I'm doing with Ironbound Media, Ironbound Boxing too, I'm also trying to be that I know a guy, right? I'm anti, again, hustle porn. And I really appreciate guys like um, Jim Collins. You know, you ain't going to get on Jim Collins' calendar, right? Yeah. It's not happening. My man puts out his <laughs> books. He's an expert, right? He deals at the high level. And to see people like you succeeding also shows my viewers what I've been trying to tell them is that you don't have to do all this bullshit that's out there, right? Like you said, I call it your dream 100. I call it focusing on your first, you know, your first 10. And you're saying, use it like a sniper rifle. It's the same thing. And so I appreciate you sharing that. And that's, you're the kind of space I embody myself as. Like, I'm not trying to be out there on a bunch of BS. People see my Ironbound boxing content, and I do enjoy sharing that. But you will never see me out there um, just, just posting 100 video clips a day, like my man Gary uh, V says. So continuing our conversation now, I want to talk about growth, right? But I want to share my perspective on branding. As somebody that's been in the space, I'm curious to hear your feedback. What I have noticed is that the clients that come to me, they say, I need new customers. You know, client acquisition, we need help. But you look at their branding and it's fucked up. There's no differentiation, okay? There's no uh, real understanding of who their perfect customer is and how they're showing up in the marketplace. I even took a note here for Frog Fuel where you lead with for OP2 Labs. What is it, the one, uh, what, what did I have here for the term? Collagen, a certain type of collagen that you guys do? Yeah, nanohydrolyzed so, collagen. Yep. Nanohydrolyzed collagen. One of my mentors, Chris Lockhead, wrote the book Play Bigger, taught me category design, right? So I'm big on positioning yourself in terms of either uh, modifying an existing category by niching down or creating something new uh, altogether. And I kind of did both with Dog Whistle Brandon. But long story short, I think before people even think about turning on their marketing, they got to nail their branding which I'm also saying means positioning and category, et cetera. Otherwise, you're just going to scale bullshit. And then you're not going to get the returns that you're looking for out of your marketing efforts. And they're not hiring CMOs, as you know. A lot of small business owners, they're more hiring like an agency to post on their social media, et cetera, and they get frustrated with the ROI that they're getting back from it. And I equate that with bad branding. Yeah. I mean, branding is definitely a part of that, you know. And so I think of it as like, you know, so – for any business, I'm like, hey, if you're doing some marketing, that's better than no marketing. So go you, even if you haven't established, you know, that that niche, you know, that tight branding, that tight customer profile. Um, but the branding side is what's going to make, you know, yeah, give you a better ROI, right? So it's a crucial thing to do in your mix. You know, there's like, you know, and, and smaller companies can do this on their own, even, you know, like like Google how to brand myself, you know, and there's a ton of free stuff to figure out how to do it. You know, they can also hire people like you to, you know, help them do it in a better way, you know, faster, more structured, things like that. Um, but, you know, doing it at all is helpful. And so it, it greases the wheels, you know, you know, when, when, you know, if I was like trying to market something to your boxing gym, right? Like it's obviously a lot easier if I'm talking about the benefits of frog fuel for boxing, then if I'm talking about the general benefits of frog fuel, right? 
It's just not as targeting, right? It's like, it, like, um, like I, I use it like if I'm talking to someone about like, again, like finding a job, right? If they're like, hey, I'm just looking for a job. I'm like, okay, cool. So when I'm out here talking to people, I'm not listening for someone saying, oh, I have jobs, you know? But if they're like, hey, I'm looking for a sales job in a direct consumer company that's in the nutrition space, right? And like, I hear people that I'm talking to, they're like, oh yeah, I'm looking for a new uh, salesperson, you know, and they sell, uh, you know, stuff like we do, you know? And I'm like, oh, someone that I talked to said that that's what they're looking for, right? And so there's a lot of value in doing that. And the cool thing is in today's world, you know, it's like you said, uh, marketing is sales at scale, which I agree completely in today's world, is that I can take a message, I can create content that's specifically, let's say, using frog fuel for boxing gyms or for boxers in general, right? And I can target only boxers with Facebook ads, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, it doesn't matter, YouTube, right? And then like what those people will see is stuff talking about boxing and frog fuel, right? I'll use our boxer Victor Morales in there, right? He's like a 16 and 0 guy right now. You know, he's going to get a belt this year. And like, I can have another ad running right next to it, going towards triathletes with like our world champion triathlete, Claudia McCoy, talking about her, right? I'm talking about the same product, but I'm using different benefits, branding it a little bit differently for those two target audiences. I can do that all automated with Facebook ads. Boop, boop, boop. And then it's gone, you know? But But we have to do that branding part. We have to know what sets us apart first from just the other products in the space. And then we have to go after those target customers, right? Instead of just shotgunning that out. This is again, like looking at it like a sniper, except the way that I uh, like to describe this is like today's marketing capabilities for the cost, especially it's like being a sniper, but when I fire one bullet that splits into a thousand bullets and it hits only all of my perfect targets, it's insane. You know, like that's, that used to be impossible. It used to not even be able to do sniper kind of like marketing. It used to only be shotgun kind of marketing. It's like, Hey, that billboard, Hey, that TV commercial, you don't know who saw it. You don't know who came to your business because of that, you know? And so like the only way that we can market like a sniper is to know our brand and know who our customers are as our brand. You know, if your customers are everyone, then it's like, cool. Like that's like, you know, you'll use that shotgun, right? But you're not going to hit anyone very hard. You know, you're going to lose, have a lot of loss with that shotgun, you know? Um, and that's, you know, that's why it's so valuable to do that branded stuff. You know, because you can only do great marketing if, you, if you're tight on your brand, you know? So it took me a while to realize this because, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? You assume everyone's got it figured out that there's this magic formula that could take a business from zero to 100, but what I have found out is that every business's, it's every business's responsibility to build their initial playbook, right? That playbook of like what's working, what's not working, right? We nail this hook, line, and center, okay? And one of my weaknesses, I'm going to speak quite frank, is I don't know that ad buy space. I don't know the clicks. I don't know all that. That's not my wheelhouse. That's your specialty, right? But I'm curious to learn at what point, is a business ready to start spending money on ad spend on all these different, you know, where you're really starting to pour that fuel um, on your business because as, and maybe I'm uninformed, right. But it seems very 
daunting now because it seems like the obvious move to make means you don't make that move because everybody's doing it. So everyone thinks that they have this business and they just run some ads, right? But you look at a lot of uh, venture, uh, Silicon Valley, tech startups, they're all spending a shit ton of money on ads and on all this other stuff. And so smaller players, like, can you even compete in that space if you don't have a lot of money to spend? And I'm curious to learn your perspective because you've said it multiple times now, like, it's the best time right now to invest in marketing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, so like the, like what's different now compared to any time in the past is like, you're paying the same and your ads are right next to all those people's ads. They're spending more in a month, right? But like your ads are showing up in the same platform. You know, there's like, there's not just one billboard, right? And like, because we spend so, like, you know, the, 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 the billboard space, we wanna look at it this way, is time on a social app. Essentially, you know, there's there's some, there's a lot of other marketing tactics here, but we'll talk about paid for just a second, you know, and so the way you know what Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, whatever one's trying to get you to do, all those platforms is stay on their platform longer because the longer you're on that platform, the more ads they can show you, which means the more ads that I as an advertiser can buy, right? And that's how they make their money, right? And so, like, there's tons of space there, and my ads will show up right next to you know, the biggest brand in the world, Nestle's ads, you know, it doesn't matter. Like I'll have less ads showing, right? But if I choose my target, my target will see that ad, right? Like that's better than ever. There's not just one billboard and it's like, Nestle got the billboard, I guess I can't advertise. It's like, no, no, no. Nestle might own most of the billboards, but that ad's still gonna be there. And what, and it's not, they're looking at all the billboards and have to see yours in the middle. It's like when you're scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or anything, when you get to an ad, the only ad you're seeing is that one ad, right? And so what it comes down to is a quality thing, right? Is like, is your ad good quality to stop them from scrolling, to get them to notice, to get them to remember your brand, right? And that comes down to the, the branding side, that comes down to the targeting side, stuff like that. But what I generally tell businesses of any size is spend money on paid ads, right? Like I don't make money by saying this. I have no vested interest in Netflix or in you know Facebook, Google, any of those companies, right? But this is what I know works. Is like spend money, even if it's like ten dollars a day, even one dollar a day, if, if the platform will let you do that much, right? Because like what you need to be able to iterate and make your ads better is you need data, right? Marketing used to be you do one thing and hope it works. Pay for the billboard, hope it works. Pay for the TV commercial, hope it works, right? But I can literally run things every second in the entire world. And I can look at that data and I can see what's working and what's not working. And then I change things to make it a little bit better, make it a little bit better, make it a little bit better. It's like working out, right? You don't go into the gym and just do like one set and you're like, oh wait, my muscles didn't go 5X. So I guess working out is dumb, right? Instead, you go in, you do some things, you see what works for you. If you have certain muscles you're trying to improve or certain you know, uh, cardio you're trying to improve or whatever it is, you go in, do those things, and then maybe you take your supplements afterwards, you see where you're at the next time, you're like, okay, let me change some things and see if this works better. Did I get stronger faster? Did I recover faster, right? Did I do a longer workout? Did I lift more? Did, like all these things, right? Everything's in iteration and we can iterate with marketing now more than ever. And so I always tell businesses like spend $10 a day, 
have it going out there, like know what metrics you're trying to shoot for. But even like, especially for smaller localized businesses, you can geo-target. Like if you're a bar or a restaurant, this is always mind blowing to me that bars and restaurants don't like advertise their happy hours. But like, you can literally drop a pin and it'll, and you can say like only within like a mile of my pin that I dropped, which is right on top of your store or your bar or restaurant. And you're like, we're gonna market that we have a happy hour on Thursdays, right? And like, you're gonna spend very little because it's super targeted. It's only the people within that mile, right? But then all those people are super high value customers, right? And like, if you're a sports bar, you're like, hey, I'll just target men from a certain age group. I'll target, I'll target single men because you know the married ones probably aren't going to a sports bar downtown, right? And that limits it even more, you know? And so like, even spending that $10 a day, then you can start looking at your revenue. Like, hey, has my revenue increased since I started spending that $10 a day? right? That's almost nothing for like a bar, you know, like you're going to make that on two drinks as a profit, you know, that's like $10 a day. And you'll probably start seeing an incremental rise in people coming to that happy hour, you know? And that's like, that's why I always say like every business should be spending some money consistently on paid ads. It's not a one and done. You need to be constantly spending so you can iterate. That's also the way the algorithms work. Like Facebook, Google, you know, all the platforms that you can spend on advertising, they want you to spend more money because that's how they make money, right? If you're not getting an ROI, then you're not going to spend more money. And so they've designed their platforms and their algorithm to make you win. Because if you're winning and you're making more money, then you're going to spend more money, right? They're on your side. They want you to win. And so their algorithm is there to get you more conversions, get you more clicks, whatever you know outcome you're looking for. That you put in there and say, Facebook, you know, Instagram, give me more sales on my store. Give me more leads, you know, for um, uh, for dog whistle, you know, like whatever you tell Facebook to do, it's like your wish is my command. You just have to spend the money so that the algorithm has enough data that it can optimize for it. Because what it's going to do is send that out in front of a bunch of people and be like, hey, you know, so you do the targeting first. Like, let's say it's, hey, within a mile, right? It's gonna say like, hey, cool, we're gonna throw it in front of all these people in a mile. And then based on how those people react to it, whether they're clicking on it, you know, maybe they even know if you go to the store, depending on how you're integrated with them. But like in the end, it's like, oh hey, these people did some of the did the things that the customer, which is your business, wanted it to do. So we're gonna show these ads to more people like that. So that this business gets a better ROI on its ads, because it has a better ROI on its ads, and it makes more profit as a business, then it will spend more money on the ads. Right. And so it's, it's like always mind blowing to me when businesses don't spend money on that consistently, because one, it's tons of data. And two, most importantly, those businesses are on your side. They want you to succeed because if you succeed, you make more money and then you'll spend more money with that. You know, so not spending on paid advertising, even if you're small, even if you just started is a very poor marketing decision. It's a very poor business decision in general. It's like, you can have your brand be really tight and everything, but if no one knows about it, it's irrelevant. I can have the best product in the world, but if no one knows about it, it's irrelevant. And for just a little bit of money, you can get in front of thousands of people per day. Like $10, you can get in front of thousands of people per day on a lot of the platforms I just talked about. And it's like a thousand people. That's a lot of potential customers, as opposed to you not doing anything 
or just having a salesperson, right? That's cold calling people. Can they cold call a thousand people per day? I guarantee they can't. If they are, then they're doing a pretty bad job at closing because <laughs> they're not getting on calls with anyone, you know? So yeah, every business should be spending some money on paid ads, even if it's like a dollar a day, $10 a day, whatever it is. One thing I appreciate about you is you speak with so much conviction about what you're talking about. Because again, over here, I'm skeptical on ads, right? But I'm confident in you because the way you're speaking, you have the experience and the authority to know what you're talking about. And again, I think that's why it's so important we have platforms like this because I'm still learning and growing. And by you talking about it and opening my eyes to it, now when I think about like running ads or I know people that are getting ready to go down that space, I'm like, man, y'all need to talk to Aaron, right? Because people are doing it and they're getting it wrong. And the reason they're getting it wrong is because they're not doing it the right way, right? Like, uh, like maybe it's a maybe it's a combination of things, you know. One thing I'm I'm big on, right? And this is I guess where you kind of come into is there's this whole movement around demand gen versus demand capture, right? And all it is is really rebranding stuff, right? But you also have to have something people are willing to like. <laughs> Look for, be searching for, if I'm not mistaken, well, yeah, I mean, like right? In the end, you know, and this is more, you know, outside of just marketing, this is how to design a good business, right? Um, which is its own art, you know, which is a fun thing to learn. Like, I love doing that too. You know, like, that's a lot of, like, I talk to a lot of, you know, you know, within, you know, uh, our companies at Op2 Labs or our brands at Op2 Labs, you know, as well as like other, you know, friends, companies, and, you know, some people that I consult for, I talk a lot to like, half the conversation sometimes is around pricing and solving the customer's problem, right? Because if you have something, like you need to be able to solve someone's problem. Like in the end, what we buy always is something that solves a problem, right? If I'm bored, I buy Netflix, right? Um, if I'm tired, I buy coffee, right? Um, like like we just buy things to solve problems. And so, knowing what problem you're going to solve is a great way to start because like if you design the product before you have the problem that you're solving that can be a huge issue for marketing it right like imagine if i designed a boat before i even thought about like oh yeah this is supposed to float on water right and i designed it in like the middle of colorado and it's meant to be an ocean liner it's like there's a problem there <laughs> you know like you did one before the other, you did them out of order, you know? Um, and so like knowing the problem that you're solving is huge. Um, and that also makes your marketing a lot easier, you know? Um, and, you know, it's very easy now. Again, like this is the best time to be an entrepreneur. Like I agree completely with people like Gary Vee on this. Like it's the best time to be an entrepreneur. It's the best time to be alive in general, in my opinion, but like that's a bigger debate for a lot of people. But, you know, um, if you want to find, like, you don't have to start with like, oh, what do I want to create? You can go find problems. Go to Quora, like Q-U-O-R-A, right? Go like, look at YouTube, look at Instagram, look at whatever, and you'll see people constantly talking about problems, right? And it's like, design something to solve those problems. <laughs> you know, it's super easy. Like, and that's something that was never available 20 years ago, even. You know, there's a really good book called Factfulness um, that I recommend everyone read so you actually have a rational perspective on how the world works. But um, the author was talking about in like, I think the book's written about 2012. And he's talking about how 
a person in the middle of the poorest parts of Africa in like 2012 or so, 2014, 2012, I can't remember what's written. If they have a smartphone connected to the internet, they have more information available to them than the president of the United States in 1996, 20 years, right? That's what's changed, you know? And so like, we can find problems to solve to start a business. We can find customers to buy our stuff better than ever for cheaper. You know, like there's all these opportunities. Um, but yeah, it's like, like part of it is believing in it. You know, like you just said, is like, you're, if you're feeling a little skeptical on something and it's like, cool, well then it's not gonna work, <laughs> you know? It's like, you have to try things to get experience, right? It's like, like I was skeptical of riding a bike when I was like five, you know? Then I saw other people doing it and then I tried it and I fell a few times, but I was like, oh, I can figure this out, right? And like, that's that's what we have to do, you know, especially if we see other people doing these things, right? There's a reason that they're doing it. It's probably because it's working, you know? So it's like, okay, well, I should probably try it and just see if it'll work for me, for my brand, or what doesn't work for my brand or change it up for my brand, you know? Given everything we've talked about from, especially now about identifying a problem, creating demand, you know, uh, having a target audience, using ads, et cetera. Talk to us about how you've been able to implement all of this with frog fuel, because I'm curious to know going back, right? What was the problem you saw and how were you guys able to launch that yeah, product? So I, I joined the company after it was launched, you know, so the company launched about 2014. Um, you know, it's, it's called frog fuel because it was designed by Navy SEALs. Uh, it's not made of frogs. Navy SEALs are called frogmen, you know, for the people out there asking, um, you know, it's medical grade nano hydrolyzed collagen protein. And so I joined the company in about 2018, I think. Um, and you know, what I applied at Frog Fuel is the same thing that I had been applying to other clients as a fractional CMO. You know, I basically have narrowed everything down to about five metrics that apply to everything that any business can use to grow. Nonprofit, service industry, you know, restaurant, direct to consumer, uh, you know, whatever, B2B, B2C, doesn't matter. Um, and so there's five metrics. So for every business is like, if you take one thing from this podcast, write down these five metrics and it's like, you should always be working on at least one of these and your business will grow. Right. And so, um, and all of these things play into revenue and or profit, which is obviously what we want to have to grow a business. And so, um, the first one is the number of customers. You want more customers generally. Uh, the second is the number of orders per customer, right? It's helpful if your customers are ordering every month or every year or every week or whatever it is, right? Because it costs a lot less to acquire that order from a customer if they've already bought from you before, right? The third one is the average order value. How much are they spending in a single order, right? Because if it costs me something to get you to come to my site or my business or something to order or to buy something, then like, I'd like you to buy a larger amount so I don't have to pay again to get you to come here to buy again at the same amount, right? So average order value. Um, and then there's cost of acquisition. How much does it cost you to acquire a new customer or like, and what I also track is how much does it cost to acquire each order, even if it's from a repeat customer, because that'll show you the profit on all of your orders. And then the return on ad spend or the return on marketing spend, you know, those two together. So I can look at return on ad spend for like my Facebook ads, right? I can look at return on marketing spend. If I take all of our revenue and all of our marketing expenses slash sales expenses, Say how much did we spend on marketing slash sales versus how much revenue we got. That's my 
that shows me the efficiency of my entire company's program, right? And I can narrow that down to TikTok ads, Facebook ads, even influencer marketing, every single thing. Like even SEO, I can say, hey, how much did I spend on my SEO writer versus how much sales came from those blogs, right? And I can know the return on ad spend for any particular thing. And so those five metrics, you know, number of customers, orders per customer, average order value, CPA, you know, uh, cost of acquisition and return on ad spend. Those are the five metrics. And all of your activities should be, all of your marketing activities should be trying to increase one of those, at least one of those. A lot of activities work on multiple parts of those. But like if you're increasing one of those all the time, you're going to grow as long as the other ones aren't inversely dropping off, you know? So if you can maintain the other four while growing one, that's awesome, right? Like if I keep the same number of customers, right? And they're ordering every month, right? So I get no new customers. I'm not getting them to order more frequently, right? But I get them to add more to their order every month. So let's say instead of one box per month of frog fuel, they're ordering two boxes, right? I've now increased the average order value and I've increased my revenue and profit, right? Like that's how that plays out in the real world. And this applies to every single business, every single business. And so like, like one, a lot of businesses don't even know those metrics for themselves, which is crazy. Um, it's like, how can you run a business if you don't know these things, <laughs> you know? Um, but I mean, you can, obviously, you just can't grow it effectively. You're just wasting a lot of money. But like, if you know those five, then it's easy to, Focus on one and try to grow it, you know? That's what I was going to say. Keyword is metrics, which means you need to have some kind of operating system to track this stuff, right? That's the level up is when you start being able to track it. You know, in Alliance Pride, we use scoreboards, right? So you put your scoreboard up, you get to the end of the week, you're like, boom, 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 here we are. But I really like the way you digested it, and I'm going to be applying this also, like you say, service businesses, nonprofits, et cetera. And then everything you're trying to do is that small incremental improvement or consistent incremental uh improvement over time if you're a startup you got to go to the races though so you might have to you know speed up a little bit but for most small businesses right like you said if you increase your number of customers or your average order value right now you're starting to get uh, more profit exactly it can be really simple you know especially like you think of like a restaurant or something right it's like or this is the same this is the reason that at a grocery store they got all the candy at checkout right so they're like hey spend another dollar right here right and that grocery store makes 50 cents more on that order that you just did right? Like, like a restaurant could do that, like add, you know, a, 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 a discounted drink, a discounted dessert, something like that, you know, bars do it with happy hours, you know, um, where like, the cost of a single order might be the same, let's say every drink at happy hour is, let's say $4. But the orders per customer now has gone up, because it's happy hour, right? They're like, Oh, shit, happy hours only two, two hours, I better buy a bunch of these. So the average order value stays at four, but the number of orders per customer goes up, right? And so like, it's all like, in my mind, obviously, because I do this all the time, <laughs> it's all very simple. But yeah, first, you have to know your metrics, right? Even if it's in a spreadsheet, it doesn't matter. You know, you like, you don't have to get all high tech and have like Google analytics and all this stuff, right? Um, but like track it in a spreadsheet. It could even be, like, hey, the end of the month, how many orders or how many customers did we get? How much did we spend on sales and marketing, right? How much, like if we took, our total spend divided by our total customers. Now we know the total number of uh, dollars per order. You know, like you figured out all that stuff. Like these are very simple metrics to calculate, and they'll tell you if your business is growing or contracting every month. Because if these are going down, you know, then it could be contracting. You know, 
I mean, you're going to find where your problems are again. But like, if you look at your revenue or your profit for the month, and you're like, oh, our revenue went down or our profit went down, right? If you're like, why did it go down? If you look at these five metrics and compare them month to month, you'll know exactly why it went down. You'll know one of these metrics brought it down. And you're like, oh, we just need to work on that metric. Why did we have fewer customers this month? Oh, it's because we had less traffic this month. Oh, it's because we spent less on marketing this month or because our marketing was less efficient and so it cost more per click. So we need to improve that. Maybe we use better creative and that'll increase our or decrease our cost per click. Let's test that. Done. Now you just figured out how your why your revenue and profit went down. Yeah. It can all be very simple. I gotta create a blog post on that. <laughs> I'm gonna give you credit for it, the five metrics. Cause it's one thing to talk about this stuff. It's another thing to show people and I'm not saying show people, but we need y'all listening to implement it. He just gave you some game, said track your five metrics, and I know most of y'all out there aren't doing it. Um, so I'm excited about that. I am going to draft it up, and I'm going to send it to you for review. Now, the last thing we got to riff on is you already triggered people by saying <laughs> business school is a waste of time, but I know you're bullish on remote work. Where did this come from? Why are you so bullish on remote, on yeah, remote so, work? Yeah, so, I mean... I, I actually, I read the four hour work week, you know, that's like one of those things in, you know, in this realm and some people are like, oh, that's some bullshit. Uh, but I read that in 2007 when it came out. I, I just got out of West Point, you know, I was, it was before I went to Iraq and everything, but I read it and I was like, oh, I didn't look at that book. Cause I, you know, I was, I was doing officer stuff for the next five years, you know, so I wasn't planning on starting businesses and stuff like that. But what that book showed me is like, oh, you can work remotely from anywhere. You know, he's talking about in the book, you know, how to outsource things globally, how to automate things, how because of the internet, because of the technology we have, because of these laptops we're sitting on, like we can do work outside of an office. And that changed my perspective. And then when I, you know, like I think of myself as a futurist, um, when I played that out over time, you know, everything in the world is based on incentives. Um, you know, so this is a core message also is like everything that everyone does is based on incentives, individual incentives. And bigger macro incentives, but individual incentives. We always want to do what's best for us. And so when you think about remote work, it's like people want more free time. People want more options. Companies want to spend less on employees and they want to get the best talent, right? And so rationally, it's like, hey, if I'm, you know, I'm in Denver right now. Um, if I'm hiring for a position in Denver, I can only hire from the, the people that live in Denver that are willing to drive to my office, right? At the price, that's the cost of living in Denver, right? So I, as the business, have a ton of constraints, right? And so I'm going to have to settle for some mix of those that's not going to be the best person at the lowest price. And that's what a business has to do in the end is provide the highest quality product at the lowest price, right? That's how business works in simplest terms. What remote work allows us to do as a business and as an individual, but like, let's say from the business side is I can hire the best people in the world at the market price globally, you know, or, you know, Hey, if I need people on us time, time zones that speak English, Hey, it's these five time zones or so. Right. And I can do that vertically all the way down to South America. Right. And so like, think of this as if you're, if you're hiring a developer in San Francisco, like when I was living there five or six years ago, I'd say an entry level developer is getting like 120K or something, right? And like that same quality of developer might be living in Kansas, like for way cheaper cost of living, and they're willing to take like 60K because that's still rich for them there. 
right? Same quality. And so if I'm the business, why wouldn't I get three or two of those same quality developers instead of one, just to have them in an office, right? And so what it comes down to on the other side is like, if you can't lead your company or lead your team remotely, you're a bad leader. You're a bad manager, right? If you need to have those people sitting in front of you because you think you need to keep an eye on them, one, you hire bad people because they should be able to work independently. Two, you're not a good leader because like you think that the only way that you can manage people is by seeing them. That like someone being in a chair for hours is what work is, right? Work should be performance driven, not hourly driven, right? Everyone on my team and everyone that I work with, they don't work on a schedule. They work on outcomes. And what I tell everyone, like my agencies, my employees, my everyone, is I don't care if you work an hour a week or a hundred hours a week. If you've agreed to the, producing these results for this salary, I don't care when you do it. You know, like we still have deadlines and stuff, but like I don't need you to work from this time to that time. I want you to know who you are. And if like you do your best work in the middle of the night, go do it. I don't care as long as you have the outcomes, right? And what that does is that puts like the responsibility on those employees and it just shows trust. Instead of us trying to control each other like, like we're children, you know, it's being like, hey, you have all the tools. You can't say it's because you don't like working from nine to five. It's like, I never said you had to work from nine to five. If you're a night person, work at night. So it puts the responsibility on them, but then also gives them the latitude to create the best work environment that they want to, right? To work from wherever they want. It's like, hey, go live in Bali. I don't care. I lived in Bali for two years. It was awesome. I had a lot of work done there, you know, because I wanted to be there, right? It's like, if I can create a better environment where people are happier, where they're more creative, where they're more productive, right? Then that's awesome. Like you get better people, happier people, you grow faster. It's also less work because you don't have to sit there and like babysit people. Like, why would I want to hire people to create more work for me? You know? And so like, that's on the business side, on the employee side, you can now work from anywhere in the world, right? If you like, like, you know, I, I'm usually living in Austin, but I hate the summer heat. It's insane. You know, it's like a million degrees there right now. You just start on fire, right? So I'm in Denver right now, right? And I've in the past worked from Bali and, you know, Europe and things like that. And so it's like, if I'm someone that literally hates the heat, right? And doesn't ever want to be in Texas, right? Then like, I could go work from Bali. I can go work from wherever I want. Or if you even have a family, you're like, hey, I want to be able to go to like my kids' soccer games instead of being stuck in traffic for three hours, right? So like now you aren't just limited to like the companies in the place where you want to live. You know, think of like play, like awesome places that maybe people want to live that they wouldn't make the money that they'd usually make because of the jobs there. It's like, okay, if you're living in like Park City, let's say in Utah, big ski town, right? It's like, there's not a bunch of jobs in Park City. You'd have to drive to Salt Lake City maybe, but like if you're working remotely, you can be working for companies that are headquartered or paying New York, San Francisco, Seattle, uh, Austin salaries and live in the mountains, you know, or live in Bali, you know, when I was living in Bali. Like I could not spend $3,000 a month. I tried. I was eating out every day. That's living in a two story loft. that was like American style. You know, there's like all these things, you know? And so the other thing is for people on a fixed income, which is most people that are employees, like the best way for you to like, create more wealth, you know, is like get raises, but you can't control when you get raises. So the only thing you can control is your expenses. 
in today's world where you can work remotely, one of people's best biggest expenses is usually rent, but it's like go to some place where there's less rent and you've just now made a shit ton more money, right? If the average rent is $3,000 a month in Austin, but the average rent is $500 a month in Bali or you know $700 a month in Lisbon in Portugal, and like if you're not choosing to work there and you're complaining about the price, like if I was like, because I live in Austin most of the time, right? But we're technically headquartered in Fort Worth, but my whole team's remote, right? If I was in Austin comparing cost or uh, complaining about the cost of living, like what I would want Alex, the CEO, to say to me is, "Then move." It's not his problem, right? It's not his problem, and that's beautiful for us as individuals. We can now be in the place. Like if you want to ski and go do outdoor stuff year-round, live in the mountains. If you want to surf every day, live on the beach, right? As a happier employee creates a happier company, which creates a better product and a better experience for all the customers, right? Everything perfectly aligns. And so to me, like if you actually believe in like the long-term play here, remote works the only way. It's like either get on board or don't. Like I don't hire people that aren't comfortable working remotely. That's like someone who couldn't type 10 years ago. If you can't type, like it's a huge liability for me to hire you, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's, that's the way I look at it. You know, so I'm very, like, I'm a huge remote work evangelist. And I, like, I believe it's the best way for us to live a happier, healthier life, you know, like find your community of people that are actually what you want to do instead of like just having to settle for the people that you work with, you know, because I don't hire, like, I don't hire people based on them being friends with each other. Right. It's like if one likes surfing, the other likes skiing, like, Hey, skier, go be in a ski community. Hey, surfer, go be in a surf community. Like, I don't want all your friends to just be the people you work with. Like, there's way more happiness in the world than just designing everything around work, you know? And I, like, I love that. It flips everything on its head where people are going to choose where they live based on where they want to live instead of where the job's at, which puts all that power back in the employee's hand, which is awesome. I love it because it challenges me as a business owner, you know, or it challenges me as an entrepreneur. Like, I have to be better. And that's what a good free market does is it forces everyone to be better, forces competition. We create higher quality for lower prices. Everyone wins. And that's my TED talk on remote work. <laughs> Yo, this is what happens when you ain't been on a podcast in like I seven know. years. You get all opinionated. You got some stuff, <laughs> man. Aaron, I feel like you dropped the mic, bro. It's been a pleasure having you on. No, I'm dead serious. I'm, I'm not just talking shit, man. Like, honestly, I appreciate these perspectives and it's good for me to learn and listen because again, I feel like I am probably where you were back in 2016 ish, maybe 2016, 2017. But it's also great because now you get to embrace this new audience of entrepreneurs that are coming up, right? And they need help with a lot of stuff that you've been talking about. And I started my company, Ironbound Media, during COVID. We've been remote the whole time. And so we have our own kind of culture versus people that can't imagine what it's like yeah. working with a remote team. Um, and we hit a lot of topics today. And I'm, do you recommend a four-hour work week? Do you give it a thumbs up or thumbs down? I, I say I absolutely read it. You know, a lot of the stuff is a little outdated in terms of websites and stuff like that. But the reason to read it is less about creating the four-hour work week. You know, it's it's a title. It's marketing, right? The title is marketing, right? Tim Ferriss will say that. <laughs> He's a good marketer, right? And so get over the title of things, you know, like grow the fuck up. Right. It's the idea. I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to your listeners, um, you know, but like it's the it's what he's talking about in that book is basically like remote work is here. And it's been here since like 2000. 
you know? So like get on board or don't, but if you don't, you will be at a loss. You know, there's edge cases for a small number of companies where they can justify potentially getting people to work in an office, right? But that's not most people's companies. Like Facebook or Google or maybe Amazon, like like Apple, they can justify that because they're like, hey, we'll pay you half a million dollars to come to this office, plus we'll give you uh, shares of the stock. Plus we'll give you holy shit healthcare, right? And it's like, okay, maybe you make a sacrifice for that, right? But like, if your company isn't paying people half a million dollars with the best healthcare in the world and stock in the company, that's obviously going to grow. Like, don't like, this is the other thing is people are like, well, you know, Microsoft did a study and they said remote work didn't work well for them. And it's like, okay, what do you, does your company have in common with Microsoft? Nothing, nothing, <laughs> you know, this is like something that would like, it's like, you know, like, oh, the best bodybuilder in the world, they're eating this. And it's like, dude, you're trying to just like lose five pounds. Why are you trying to do their protocol? Like that Olympic athlete or something. It doesn't make sense. You know, so we got to take advice from the people that are doing things in our realm. Right. Because like what gets you to the next place isn't what's going to keep you there. Right. It's like that idea. A lot of people point, point out, you know, like, like millionaires always have like seven income streams. It's like, okay, that's true. But like, they probably got to the millionaire status through one or a primary one, right? Like a primary thing that they put all their stuff into, you know, so don't just try to have seven income streams from the start. That's not the way it works. You know, don't look at where they're at. Look at how they got there, how they got there, you know? And then also, you know, look at some of those old companies. It's like, Hey, how they got there was like, yeah, everyone was working in the office, you know, but like, that's not the way the world is right now. Right. So like, Hey, transportation started with horses. That doesn't mean you should start a horse ranch, you know, like maybe follow the lead of like FedEx flying shit around the world, you know, um, or look at Amazon, how they're moving things around, you know, things like that. And so, um, yeah, that goes back to what we started on about. You got to create your own playbook for, both for yourself, right. As an individual, and then also your company, you can't always mimic what other people are doing, right. You got to come up with what works for you and figure it out. Now, one thing we leave our listeners with on this platform is actionable advice that they need to start like implementing now. So like, what are the three things you want our listeners to start doing right now to improve their marketing? And if it's their personal, I don't like to use the word personal brand, but how they're showing up to the world cool. too, we can include that also. Yeah, I mean, the first thing is know those five metrics. Just, you know, know those, track them every month, you know, like I look at this stuff like every week, sometimes every day for certain platforms, right? But like every month at least for every business, you know, number of customers, orders per customer, average order value, cost of acquisition, return on ad spend. Know those for your business, right? Uh, the second thing is in today's world, uh, automate and outsource. And this plays into the remote work thing, right? Is it like, don't think that you just have to hire locally for every position. Like there's a lot of things that, yeah, you do need to hire locally. Let's say you have a restaurant. You need people to be in your restaurant working, right? Your accountant doesn't need to be local though. Your tax person doesn't need to be local. Your logistics person doesn't need to be local, you know? Um, and then the outsource part is, you know, you don't need all these people to be full-time employees either, you know? It's just like, 
you know, you don't need a full-time lawyer when you're a small business. You just need some, someone that you can pay for an hour to help you out, you know? And so like within that realm, you want to use technology to automate as much as possible, especially if it's repetitive admin stuff, and then outsource to the highest paid experts that you can afford for your business. Because one hour with that person could save you a ton of money. So that's a helpful thing by help, by telling you to use it over here instead of use it over here. But they can also help you make a ton more money by saying, use it over here instead of use it over here, right? And like that's, when people talk to me about, you know, fractional CMO stuff, that's what that whole point of that hour is, is like, hey, yeah, a bunch of people came to you and said like, oh, do SEO, do Facebook ads, do a website redesign, you know, do branding, right? And like, all of those people have a vested interest in you doing their thing, right? They have misaligned incentives. If I sell Facebook ads, right? And you ask me about marketing, you know what I'm going to tell you? Do Facebook ads, right? We have misaligned incentives, right? But if I'm more lateral, it's like, hey, I can tell you the right thing to do. It's like a lawyer or an accountant, right? Those people are more lateral. And so they're going to tell you across the board things to do or not do, as opposed to like the mortgage broker or the realtor is going to say, don't buy a car, buy a house. Because they make a commission on that sale. Right. So automate and outsource to the best people that you can and ideally lateral. Right. So lateral for outsourcing and like for automation, whatever's the most repetitive tasks, you can almost always automate it now. There's an app out there that you can probably install quickly. There's a lot of people that will help you with that or YouTube will. Um, yeah. And then, you know, a big picture thing is is just like get on board with remote work like it's it's a requirement, you know, and especially like the, the danger here is less for entrepreneurs because there's always someone that'll replace your business, you know? So like, if you don't want to do it, that's fine. Like someone will do it and they'll win and they'll beat you. Right. <laughs> like this is like, this is like uh, when I was doing those podcasts a long time ago, when I was a concept I was throwing around to myself was like, I'm just going to talk about certain businesses of why they're going to fail or like if they don't change these things. Right. So that's a fun one. So if anyone wants to talk to me about like how their business is going to fail, like reach out and I'll tell you like where you're breaking. And if you don't change it, it's going to bomb. But like remote works a big one that like for businesses, someone else will replace that. You know, so like if you fail, another entrepreneur will replace you. The bigger danger is for like employees, right? If you're not learning how to be comfortable working remotely, setting up an environment where you can get work done, learning how to be performance-based instead of on an hourly schedule, you're less valuable as an employee, right? And you're now competing globally. There are people in the Philippines that are stoked to make $5 an hour or $10 an hour. They're like, this is amazing, you know? And that's in a place that's not even as bad as some of the places in the world, right? If I'm in the middle of, you know, like some other countries that are just like in extreme poverty, someone's like, if you pay me $5 a day, I will literally do anything for you. Right. And it's like, that's what American employees are competing against. I'd pay someone $5 an hour to learn perfect English. So they sound just like me, like to change their life and make them live a happier life compared to like a lot of us being super entitled as Americans. It's like, Hey, remember like, yeah, there's things that aren't great here, you know, but like, we're not just competing within our country anymore. You're competing globally. And so you as an individual need to stay relevant by being super comfortable working remotely working from anywhere because here's the thing is like 
I, let's say, as, the, as, as like an entrepreneur, I don't care where you want to live. I care what's the cost of like whatever your job is. And if the global cost for something goes from that 120K a year developer in San Francisco to now the like average in the US is 60K a year for an entry level developer. And you're like, but I still want to live in San Francisco. And I'm like, okay, well, you're making 60K. So like, you don't have to take this job because you also don't have to live in San Francisco because you can live anywhere in the world, right? And so as an employee, and this is for all of us, also as entrepreneurs, right? It's like, we need to be very comfortable with remote work because we're competing globally now. A company can start up on the other side of the world competing with any of us and sell in any country, you know? And so like, that's why I'm such a big evangelist for it. It's less because like, hey, it's just great. <laughs> and more because like, if you don't get on board, you will fail catastrophically in your lifetime, in my opinion. You know, I like to add in my opinion to the end of lots of things. <laughs> We appreciate it. Man, y'all know it took me like five months to get this interview, yeah, by the way. When did I contact you, Aaron? Like March? And then you were like ping me I'm going on vacation in April. And then you were just like ping me every two weeks. So that's why I'm so happy to have you on. Dude, um, I think our audience got tons of value out of it today. How can our uh, listeners help you? I know we got Frog Fuel out there going. What else? Well, yeah, I mean, the big thing, go check out frogfuel.com. You know, we like... Marketing is really easy when you have a great product to market. I didn't design our products. Um, Alex and Jeff, the founders, former Navy SEALs, they designed those products and our products are awesome. You know, they heal wounds two times faster. You know, elite athletes use our stuff, world champions, because it makes them recover and stay strong a lot longer, you know? So, um, you know, if you're doing anything in the fitness space and trying to stay healthy, recover faster, have less pain, you know, or be an elite athlete, like, I always say like, hey, if you're not using the best product for recovery, then like you're not the best athlete. And our products are the best. Um, and that's based on scientific studies that other people did on our products, you know? So check out Frog Fuel. Um, if you get injured, um, you know, our products are used in over 4,000 hospitals around the world because they are proven to heal, heal wounds two times faster. And so if you get injured or anything or have a surgery or um, are on a low volume diet, like a lot of bariatric uh, surgery kind of people, like check out proteagold.com. That's our medical label. Um, so yeah, check out those things. Like I love pushing our products because they're amazing. Like everyone in the company uses them every day. And like, you know, it keeps everyone young. Like the CEO, Alex is 49. He's at around like six or 7% body fat. Um, the only, the only supplement he takes every day is two or three servings of our stuff. So that's about 45 grams of supplemental protein. And he'll win like a, uh, obstacle course race, like a Spartan race against people half his age. You know, um, that's, that's the kind of outcomes we're seeing. So it's awesome. So check that stuff out, you know, and then, you know, I do always just love talking about this stuff. Obviously I have lots of opinions. Um, I, <laughs> I do love helping businesses not fail though, and helping businesses grow. Um, I just think it's fun. It's just a fun game. Um, so if you want to talk about those things, you know, you can find me, um, at, you know, uh, on LinkedIn, you know, Aaron, sorry, you know, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes of how to spell my name. Uh, you can hit me up on there or send me an email at hello at Aaron, sorry.com. Um, or, you know, I have, uh, you know, this is growth.com, which is just kind of a landing page. That's, you know, my growth agency that includes me, uh, that I do some consulting through. So the big thing is like, if you're trying to stay healthy, go use frog fuel and protein gold. Like it's, 
it's crazy how great that stuff is. It makes my like my, my job so much easier because I have great products. I don't have to think like, how are we going to pitch this slop? It's like, no, this stuff's amazing. So I have too many options for benefits and stories to send. It's just awesome. So check out the websites. You'll see it all there. Um, and then, yeah, hit me up. I love talking about this stuff. So if anyone needs help with their businesses or whatever, or just wants me to break something down for them, I love destroying ideas and rebuilding them in better ways. Oh, yeah. And if you're getting ready to spend a bunch of money on some ads, you better book some time with Aaron before you uh, uh, light that light that few, light that that uh, money on fire, you know, sending bullshit ads out into the ecosystem. Because I know what I'm going to do when I start working with my clients and they're saying, hey, we're thinking about running some ads. I'm about to hit up Aaron uh, and send them over. So, again, man, we appreciate you on this platform. For all our listeners, make sure you subscribe to the Dog Whistle Brand and newsletter at the link in the show notes. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at Iron Mike Stedman or shoot me an email at Mike.Stedman. Uh, shoot me an email at Mike at WeAreIronbound.com. Until next time, peace, love. Have a great rest of your week. Dog Whistle Branding is brought to you by the team at Ironbound Media, where we provide no-fluff and high-impact brand strategy for veteran-owned businesses. We believe that audio is the future of publishing, and we're committed to leading the movement for the veteran entrepreneurial community. You can learn more by visiting our website, ironboundmedia.com. This series is powered by the Lions Pride, a professional training and coaching company for badass founders. We serve mission-driven, high-performing small business owners with at-the-ready resources, battle-tested tools, and full-service support. We're proud to support veteran and other badass-owned businesses at every stage of growth. You can learn more and get more at thelionspride.com. Thank you.